Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This week, Dallas Greenway continues our series on heaven and earth and focuses on the beginnings of evil. By looking at the story in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were tempted, we see that there was a great rebellion happening against God, and that the overflow of that rebellion is where the evil in our world comes from. Dallas navigates the questions of what is God doing about evil and how is he fixing our broken world. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope you're encouraged. So good. What is up, everybody? We are in week three of Heaven and Earth Collide. Can you guys believe that? Yes. Thank you, Jenny Ann. Uh, we, I hope that it's been a fun series for you. I know last week, part of what we did in small groups was we encouraged you guys, hey, if you have any questions uh, related to heaven, earth, hell, colliding, whatever, whatever the questions were regarding this kind of subject, you were able to ask that in your small group. And so hopefully at the end of group, you guys spent some time writing questions on little sheets of paper. And I know I got a huge stack of questions. I would imagine it was over a hundred questions between both services. And there was probably like, uh, if there were a hundred questions, probably 20 of them were kind of like random scattering around a bunch of different topics, subjects. Uh, but then there was like 40 that were on one subject. Subject and 40 that were on another subject, if there was 100 questions. So it was a, a huge percent of them uh, were around this subject of like, what is the afterlife like? Meaning, what does hell look like? What does heaven look like? Do we get to have our pets in heaven? Do we get to uh, know our relatives in heaven? It was all about what does the afterlife look like? And so hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit about that. This week, though, we're going to focus on the bigger bulk of the of the questions or the the other bulk of the questions which was around the subject of sin and evil and a lot of questions like, hey, if, if God knew that this was going to happen, then why did he let it happen in the first place? If God knew that they would take from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, then why did God put the tree there in the first place? If God really is so good, then why does he let evil or bad things happen to us. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to be if you have your, your Bibbles already uh, in, in your hand and ready to turn there. Um, before we get there, though, here's what I know about you guys and this question. Like you're, you're asking this question because you've seen it and you've experienced it in your own life. Uh, a lot of people might look at you and say, hey, you're a middle schooler. You're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. And so you haven't lived a lot of life. You don't actually know what life is about. But I, I know that, that you do, and that certainly you guys have lived long enough, and some of you have experienced some, some things that for, for your age, even somebody who's 90 years old, they, they haven't quite experienced the same thing that you have or been through the same stuff you have. So you guys have lived life, and so you do know this to be true, that all is not right in the world that there's some bad stuff, that there's some evil stuff, that there's some dark things that happen in the world. And maybe for you, what comes to mind is something that, you know, you've seen, whether it's uh, homelessness and, and seeing people addicted to substances, and you, you've kind of maybe seen it from afar, and you're like, man, why does that stuff have to happen? Or you've seen pictures of, or you've seen videos of people uh, across the world, maybe even our, in our own country, this is actually something that people struggle with. Just, just they, they don't have the ability to get clean water. You're like, man, why? Like, if God's good, then why, why are these people not able to just have a simple, clean, clean drink? 
or, or maybe it hits a little bit closer to home for you, and it's not something that's far away and distant or that you see on the side of the road or the interstate, but it's something that's happening in your own family. And there's this wrestling match and there's some things that this person said or some things that this person's done that's tearing maybe your immediate family or your extended family apart and you're like, why does it have to be this way? Or maybe you've lost a loved one or a friend to an illness or to some tragic ending and, and you're left wondering like, man, if God is so good, why would he let this happen? We've all lived long enough to know that things are not what they are meant to be in this world, even to the extent we know that it's not right within us. The thoughts that we battle with, the the struggles that we deal with on maybe for some of us a, a daily basis. This reality of evil and darkness and bad things uh, in in life and, and in this broken world has become ever more real to me over the last few years. Some of you may know this. I think by some, I mean like maybe two people in the room. Um, but my dad, uh, his name's Jeff, okay? And uh, yeah, my name's Jeff, right? Like, so my dad's name is Jeff. Make all the Jeff jokes you want. Uh, and he had a brother named Chris who was 15 years younger than my dad, okay? So imagine you guys move into high school, freshman year or sophomore year, whenever you turn 15 years old and your parents come to you and say, hey, we're having a baby, right? Like that's the, probably the last thing you thought would happen. And so it was my, my dad and his 15-year younger brother. That's the only two kids that their parents had. And his brother, his name was Chris. And Chris was a really good helicopter pilot. He was in the military for a time. He would fly people via helicopter doing like different hospital things, like transporting somebody from a really bad accident. He did a lot of like really cool, crazy stuff, was a super good helicopter pilot. And a few years ago, actually it was four years ago, because this happened right before my, my son Owen was born, and Owen's four right now. Uh, so four years ago in August, uh, Uncle Chris had to go in for open heart surgery, which is like also evil, but par for the course for my family. Uh, you may not know this, but before I got to college or like right as I was entering, my dad had a, a mild heart attack and quintuple bypass surgery, okay, which if you're following uh, numbers for all you math people out there, quin means five, okay? So yeah, he had a quintuple bypass surgery. My mom uh, had a sextuple bypass surgery, which is six, okay? So what am I doing to combat this? That's a great question. Uh, and I will answer that at a later date when, you know, I'm in the hospital. Just kidding, hopefully I don't get there. I am doing some things. I got a really good doctor friend. Uh, but so heart stuff runs in my family. Uncle Chris is going in for open heart surgery. He's just having a triple bypass. It's nothing, no, no biggie compared to what the rest of my family's been through, right? So he goes through has a surgery, everything goes really great. Our doctors are amazing at open heart surgery, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but then something weird happened where Uncle Chris goes back to his hospital room and starts the process of recovery. And uh, soon after, my parents get a call, hey, um, Chris has had a double stroke that has left him in a vegetative state. I said, he's a vegetable in first hour, and they're like, he turned into a carrot, right? Like, no, no, no. He, he was left in a vegetative state, meaning his brain was just done. And at some point, we had to make the decision to, to pull the plug because he wasn't going to be able to, to function. And that's, that's a whole other story on itself. But it was just really, really weird. Like, okay, so he goes in for open heart surgery, but then ends up having this thing that happens with his brain that ends up taking his life. And we were, it just felt really weird, but we had to figure out all this stuff to bury him and have the funeral service. And 
I mean, isn't that wrong? Isn't that bad? But, but it, actually, it gets worse. So it was a weird situation. From August, then fast forward a few months in January of the next year, my parents get a call, and it's the hospital. Hey, uh, we'd like to send a couple people. The, the hospital was in Texas. That's where my uncle died. We'd like to send some people from Texas, from this big major. It'd be like somebody from Prisma, like some of the top dogs at Prisma, calling your house and saying, yeah, we, we're coming to see you. Uh, and so my parents said, okay. And then a couple days later, they get a call from the sheriff's department in that town in Texas, and they say, hey, we're going to come see see you as well. So long story short, this again is a showing that things are not right in the world. There was a nurse in the hospital who, for whatever reason, decided that it was a good idea not just to do this to my uncle, but to do it to multiple people where he would come into their room, mess with all the, the tubes that they're hooked up to and all this stuff, bring them to the brink of death so that he could play hero and bring them back to life because I know what's wrong with them. Sadly, when you play with death and you're not God, you don't really get to decide who lives and who dies. And so my uncle, along with a couple other people, were murdered by a nurse at a hospital who was supposed to be taking care of them. You want to talk about jacked up, messed up, broken. That sounds like something in a movie. No, no, no. That sounds like something that happens far away. No, no, no. That's something that, no, I could, that's my Uncle Chris. That's dark. That's evil. That's demonic. That's broken. That's messed up. And while you may not have a story quite like that, again, we've all lived long enough to know, hey, this world is not what it's meant to be. So why in the world does God let it continue? In fact, maybe you're not asking why does God let it continue, but maybe why did God... Why did God let it happen to begin with? So we're going to approach some of these questions. I want to say that if there were 40 questions on this subject, then there were 40 different variants and different thought patterns and different uh, nuances to these questions. And so one thing I want to say is while we're going to approach the subject of sin and evil and where did it start and where did it come from, you may not have your specific answer uh, or your specific question answered this morning, Okay. I want to say that, and I want to say it to say this, but that doesn't mean that you just, okay, well, we didn't talk about my thing, and we didn't get to talk about it in a small group, so whatever, right? I think your questions and your doubts, you know, some, some churches, some people are like, no, 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 don't you ask questions? Don't you doubt? Because if you doubt, you must not be a real Christian. I don't know what voice that is, but no, no, no. I, I want to encourage you guys, if you have questions that you don't get answers to this morning or you don't get answers to in the next couple of weeks, I want you to keep pushing in and keep asking questions and keep seeking answers to those things because I think that that's part of this discovery. That's part of, that's part of faith. The other part, though, is some of the questions we have, we may never come to an answer that fully satisfies us. You're like, what? That's where faith comes in, part of where faith comes in is that we're humans. We're, we're, we're just little human beings with our, our, our experience on this earth for a certain time in history, for a certain period of eternity, like a, t- a tiny little blip on the radar of eternity is our lives and is our mind. We cannot possibly understand all the things that there is to know about God. We can't. 
And, and that's where faith comes in. Faith is the ability to trust in things that you cannot always see or touch or know or understand or have answers to. And while that may be really frustrating, because I, I think you can have both, right? You can, you can still go after seeking the answers while also knowing that you may not come to a fully satisfying answer because in the end, the, the, the call is not for us to have all the answers, but it's for us to trust the one who does. And I know that may sound like a cop-out. Like some of you are like, ah, ah. but listen, if there is a God, okay, if, especially if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling to believe that there is a God or not, if there is a God, then doesn't it make sense that we tiny humans created ones would not be able to fully understand the one who created us? Doesn't that just make sense? So if anybody comes to you and says, I have all the answers, which by the way, I'm not saying that this morning, okay? In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I have very few of the answers. If somebody comes to you and says that they have all the answers, run, okay? If somebody comes to you and says, I know everything that there is to know about God, here's what they just did. They just made themselves God, okay? It's very important, very important. And that's, that's actually part of the temptation that we're gonna talk about this morning, this desire for us to be God. And so if you ever come to a place where you know everything, you, you have all the ins and outs, you know exactly what happens after we die, you know exactly the whole deal with, with evil and the problem of sin, you know all those things and you have just made yourself God. If he's God, then there ought to be things that we can't fully understand. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. All of that is true. So how come I can say, hey, pursue answers and know that you might not find them? because you can rest in and have comfort in and trust in the God who does, okay? And for me, that's really, really comforting. Is it harder at times than others? Like when I get the phone call, hey, your Uncle Chris was murdered. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, my, my dad just a couple weeks ago had to be in Texas for the trial of this guy and the trial ended up uh, deciding that his sentence is the death penalty. And there's like 20 people every year who get the death penalty in all of America, 350 million people. And somehow my dad's in, in the midst of this. And, and I'll be honest, I really struggle with it. My dad had to meet with Pastor Charlie and was like, hey, am I supposed to want this guy to die? And that's a whole nother thing. And maybe something we can talk about at some point. But this is the kind of brokenness that we find ourselves in. And when something like that happens, it's easy to pop up and say, it's, it's a little extra hard right now to trust that God knows what he's doing and what he's up to. But, but in the end, trust, trusting, seeking comfort in him who has all the answers is way better than just scrambling around and trying to find all the answers on our own. So pursue answers. Know that you might not get them. That's why we get to trust, okay? Got it? Maybe that's message enough for some of you this morning. Um, probably took too much time on that. Here we go. Genesis chapter three. Let me give you a little bit of uh, a little bit of backstory, real brief, on Genesis chapter three. Okay, we're about to encounter two things that you may have a lot of questions about. One of them is Satan. Lucifer, the enemy, okay? He comes in the form of a serpent in this story. Where did he come from? How did he get here? Did God create him? So we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, this whole creation story, right? That God created everything, the, uh, the earth and the, the heavens and the, the, the animals and all the things that we see growing and all this fun stuff. But God created everything. Eventually he creates us. And somewhere in there, if God created everything, then he also had to create these beings called 
angels, okay? Maybe you've never thought about that before. Like, where did angels come from? I read about angels in the Bible. We see angels with flappy wings on the TV, right? Like, uh, every time the bell rings, an angel gets its wings. So uh, where did angels come from? God created them. And uh, apparently, God, God didn't make them like he made humans. That's pretty uh, distinct. Like, we are made in the image of God. I'm not sure that that's the same case with the, the angels. We don't get a ton of clarity on that. But somehow, God has made the angels not just programmed robots who only love God all the time, even though that's what a lot of them do. But apparently, they were also made with the ability to choose to love God or not, which is something we're going to talk about more in a few minutes, okay? Okay. Why do we know that? Or why can we say that? Because Satan, Lucifer, the enemy, was one of these angels. And you can see that if you were to read through the Bible, you would pick it up in different passages at different times from different verses that kind of provide some sort of context. Again, this is one of the areas we don't have all the answers. But apparently, all these angels are created. Lucifer is one of them. And at some point, him him having the ability to choose, he chose to try to make himself God. He wasn't satisfied being one of the angels, wasn't satisfied being one of the worshipers. He wanted to be one of the ones who was worshipped, or maybe the only one who was worshipped. And so there was a rebellion. It's kind of interesting to think about, right? But there was a rebellion, angels going against God, and in the end, remember, they're created beings, and anytime the created mess with the creator, guess who's going to win? God kicks out a what some of the scriptures point to is like a third, which we don't know how many angels that is, but a third of the angels that were in heaven and created by God, he kicks them out, including Lucifer himself. So was Satan created by God? Yes. Yes, he was. But he was kicked out of heaven because he turned his back on God, wanted to become God himself, and that's just not the way it works. So we're about to see Lucifer, who uh, he was so upset about not being able to be God himself that now he has spent the rest of his life trying to convince us that we should do the same thing, that we should try to be God, only to bring us down with him, maybe both metaphorically and literally, right? And so the, that's part of what you're going to see, is you're going to see uh, Satan enter for the first time. The other thing you're going to see is this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So along with the garden being created, one of the things that was put into the garden was a tree called the knowledge, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gave one commandment about this tree. Hey, you can eat anything in the garden. Okay, pay attention to the language there. You can eat anything in the garden except for this tree. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And here's where we start to have a lot of questions. Well, why would God put the tree in there if they're going to die? Why would God put the tree in there if he knew that they were going to choose to eat from the tree and to turn their back on God and try to become their own God? Why did he do it? We don't have all the answers for this one. But here's what I think part of it is. We're going to see this all throughout the scriptures. Is it's, it's, it's a moment for them to trust God. Love is not forced, okay? Love is not forced, and, and what some of us say, we're like, man, if, if we were just made the way that we were supposed to be made, where we didn't sin, we didn't mess up, we didn't make mistakes, we only worshiped God with all the things that we did in life, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be how it is? But forced love is not love at all, right? If we were actually made like that, if we were programmed like that, it'd be far more like we were like, I love God robots than real loving relational beings, And we know that God wanted relationship with us. That's why he kept reaching out to us. That's why he kept coming towards us. That's why he sent Jesus for us. 
but relationship. You guys, you guys have experienced this. Maybe you've had a, a situation where your, your uh, parents were trying to connect you with another kid, and so they, they bring you over, and you have to be at each other's houses, and you kind of have to be nice to each other, and you're like, I don't really think they like me, but we're like forced to do this thing. Have you ever experienced that awkwardness? Or uh, you, you know that like part of what makes relationships work is because you actually are choosing to be in the relationship together. And I don't just mean like boyfriend, girlfriend, but I mean like, like friends, Part of what makes your friends friends is because, hey, I like you. You like me? We like the same stuff? Let's hang out. Forced love is not love at all. Forced relationship is not relationship at all. And so God, in putting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, he's inviting them. Hey, will you, will you trust me? Will you choose to trust me? Will you choose to love me? Will you choose to do this relationship together? Kind of an interesting thought. But I think that that's at least part of why this tree is in the garden. It's an invitation, an invitation to trust, an invitation to love, right? Okay, so uh, the other part of this is there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, well, let's just, let's just read, let's just read in, the, in the scriptures, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go through this, point out three temptations and wrap up, and then we'll be good to go. Okay, so Genesis chapter 3, we got the serpent, we got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, remember, wording is important, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, uh, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die." But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked or naked or nakad. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is where we see uh, sin and shame and guilt enter into humanity for the very first time. And so they hide because they're afraid. They're experiencing shame. They're experiencing guilt. And where they once were in right relationship with God, they now have broken that, turned their back on it. And they know it. They get it. They don't just hide in the bushes, but they're like hiding their whole bodies. Like, I don't even want to be seen by him. And this is where we sin and we see sin enter into the garden for the first time. Uh, so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think another reason that it was put in the garden is because apparently we're not supposed to have everything we want at all times. Part of living the life that God has intended for us, even I think, Part of what we're going to experience when, when this life is done and gone and we're living uh, fully with God is practicing something called restraint. That, that whole thing, like too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. I think that that's part of what the Lord was getting at is helping them see that, hey, sometimes by saying no to certain things, it allows us to say yes to other things, to the right things. And that's part of what the, this tree represents as well. But the enemy comes along and says, no, you can have it all. You can do it all. You can taste it all. You can be it all. And 
this is where we see three temptations. Three temptations, not just for Adam and Eve, but three temptations that in some shape or form are still messing with us and tempting us today in 2021, all right? Here's the three temptations. The first one is this, that the serpent comes, the enemy comes, and he questions God's word. Remember, wording is important. What does the serpent say? He says, hey, did, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in this garden? He's questioning God's word. He's twisting God's word because what did God actually say? He said, no, you can eat of any tree in the garden. There's just one tree that I'm saying, hey, don't eat of that for your good, for our relationship, for trust, for love. Choose to trust me. Choose to submit to me. Don't eat of just this one tree. But now the seed's planted, and this is what the enemy does. And he does it with us today. You could probably think of examples, and maybe you'll talk about it in your small group, where just a little seed of doubt Because some of us, like, we've read our Bibles and we've grown up in church, but maybe you haven't read it as much as you want to or maybe as much as you should or maybe there's some subjects you wish you knew more about and then somebody comes along and says, hey, doesn't your God say this about life? Doesn't he say you're not supposed to do this or you are supposed to do this? And you're like, huh, maybe? But it's just this little seed of doubt and questioning. That's what the enemy tries to do. He tempts us with this question. The next thing that we see is that he challenges or contradicts God's authority, right? So after he questions his word, uh, the serpent says in verse four, hey, yeah, you, you say that God said you'll surely die when you eat of this tree, but the serpent says, you will not surely die. Like, you really think God's gonna do that? You really think God's gonna go through with that? You really think that's how he designed it? really think that's how he made you? Isn't this something that is being done over and over and over again? Hey, I know that, that for thousands and thousands of years, we thought that this was life. We thought that this is how our bodies operated. We thought that this is how the world operated. No, we can just, can't we just do whatever we want? I mean, that is something we could apply to so many situations in our world today. So many things that maybe you've already got in your mind. So many things that we see on TV. Hey, can't you just like, you, that's not how, how the world works. That's not how your life works. Questioning God's word, challenging or contradicting God's authority. And then this last thing, here's where it's leading, is to go against or conquer God's, God's supremacy. In the end, what did Satan want? He wanted to be God. What does he try to tempt us and get us to take hold of, grab from the tree, so to speak. Hey, if, if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God. That's what he says to them. You're not going to die. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like God. You're going to know right from wrong. You're going to be your own God. And isn't that a temptation that is all over the place? I mean, one of the, one of the most popular phrases right now is, I'm living my truth yeah, but what if your truth contradicts somebody else's truth, then whose truth is truth? Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's right for me, even if it's wrong for you. But what? So we get to decide, not just know good from evil, but decide what's good and what's evil. But what if what you say is good is actually really evil for somebody else? What if what one culture or society says is right, another culture says is wrong? What if the man who murdered my uncle said it was right for him to do that? And everything that I know and believe says that it's wrong. 
You see why this is an issue? You see where this is everywhere in our culture right now? That you just get to decide what is best and true and right and good for you. You get to be your own God. It doesn't work like that. But when the enemy can tempt us and get us to the point where we believe that, the whole thing falls apart. And that's what he's been trying to do from the very beginning. In fact, in some ways, that's what he did. Because now, thousands of years later, we're living in the consequences of Adam and Eve. And maybe you wrestle with that, like, why, why are we blamed for what they would do? Why, 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 do, why does everything hang on what these two people decided to do? Here's the thing. You and I would have done the exact same thing. Like, no, not me. <laughs> but you do it every day. You and I decide to turn our back on God, treat ourselves like God, go our own way, decide what's right and wrong for us, good and evil for us, and we fall into the same temptation that Adam and Eve did to begin with. We do it. So what, what, do, we, what do we do with this? What, what, maybe we should start with this. What's God doing about this? Because, okay, so it entered in through this temptation, and then Adam and Eve fell into the temptation, and then they, they sinned. So what's God doing to put this whole thing together? That's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. It's like God didn't leave us in our sin. He didn't leave us in our brokenness, but he keeps reaching out to us eventually in the form of coming in the flesh himself and dying on the cross so that we wouldn't have to deal with sin any longer. Doing away with sin and death so that we could experience life as it was intended to be if we would trust him and follow him. Live as a part of his kingdom, as his kingdom kids. Man, some of us spend so much time wondering, why did God let this happen to begin with that we forget the part about, no, no, maybe it's more about what he's actually done to fix this whole thing, to bring us back into right relationship with him. I think that's where our focus needs to be. So three things very quickly before we, and, and then we'll wrap up. One, can you trust God when you don't have all the answers? Can you trust him when you don't have all the answers? Because some of you, maybe you got the answer to your question. Like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But maybe it made more questions, or maybe some of you feel like, nope, my question didn't get answered, and I'm even more confused. Can you trust him when you don't have all the answers? Because he does. He's the one who created it and understands all the ins and outs. The second thing is, where do you see these temptations happening? Where do you see them happening in the world? Maybe the world around you? And where do you see them happening within you? Where are you tempted to fall into the same traps that Adam and Eve fell into? And then the last question or thought is what are you and I doing on a regular basis to push back against the sin in our own life? Because a lot of times we're like, man, I wouldn't have messed up if I was Adam and Eve. Yeah, but again, we do it every day. I do it every day. So what are we doing to actively fight and actively push back against sin? But what, what's God doing? God's actually given us everything we need to trust him and follow him and live the life that he's intended for us to live right now. But sometimes we want to spend so much time thinking about, why, why did this happen in the first place? What are, what are we doing? No, 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 like God's already done it. Will you join him in what he's doing? What does it look like for you to actively push back against sin in your own life? It's not easy. These questions and, and thoughts maybe aren't easy. But this is part of faith. It's part of trust. 
And we have a God who is extremely trustworthy. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that we are at a church where we can ask questions and we can have uh, discussions, both from the stage and in our small groups. I pray that, that as we head to those groups that you would lead and guide our discussion. But ultimately, God, as we search for answers and we ask you uh, questions, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to lean on the work of Jesus on the cross, work that's already been done for us, to take care of this problem of sin and evil? Would you help us to more and more each day fight against sin and, and walk in the life that you've intended for us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.